in the fourth chapter of Philippians, beginning at verse 14. And I'll read through verse 19. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. About two weeks from tonight, we're going to talk about the, uh, the law of the harvest, that whatever you sow, that's what you reap. And when you give, that's what you receive. The gift blesses the giver, you see. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Say it with me. And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory. In Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus, is the King James. When I was a kid growing up on the farm, uh, the Sears Roebuck catalog was very special. It was what we called the wish book. I ordered a daisy rifle out of uh, the Sears and Roebuck catalog and a, and a tennis racket. Now, I didn't, we didn't have any tennis courts, you know, anything like that, but I, I thought I needed a tennis racket. And I can remember getting that Sears Roebuck catalog down and just thumbing through it and just wishing I had this and wishing I had that. I could just see myself uh, with all of the things that were in that Sears and Roebuck catalog, and I really wished for them. And I um, learned to read the Bible like the Sears and Roebuck catalog. And I turn the pages of this Bible and I'd read things like I've read tonight and I'd wish that that would happen to me. And the, and the Bible has almost become, for most of us, like the Sears and Roebuck catalog. We just kind of thumb through it and wish we could have that experience. Or wish that what happened to the Apostle Paul would happen to us. I want you to learn this tonight, that the Apostle Paul is not the exception, but rather the rule. He is not the exception of the Christian life, but he is the example of the Christian life. What happened to the Apostle Paul is not an exception to the Apostle Paul, but the Apostle Paul is an example of what God wants all of us believers to experience. Do you believe that? No, you don't. You might wish that you believe that, but you don't really believe it. The Apostle Paul is not an exception of what God wants to do in human life. He is the example of what God wants to do in human life. 
so that what God did in his life, he wants to reproduce in your life and in mine. I think we need to believe that if we don't believe anything else. Now let, let me set the context. As I mentioned last week, the little church at Philippi had met a need in the apostle's life and he's grateful for it. For he sees in that an example of what God is about to do in them. And he says in essence, you've met one of my needs. God is going to meet every one of yours. Out of your meager resources, you have met a need of mine. According to the resources of God, he's going to meet every need of yours. And he's just using the analogy of their goodness meeting his need to show them how God in His mercy and in the vastness of His resources is going to meet theirs. I'm here to tell you, God wants to prosper you. He wants to prosper you in every way. He wants you to be a testimony of His ability to, to meet the need in your life. He wants you to be an example of His goodness and ability to meet needs. God wants to prosper us. There are many areas in which He wants to prosper us. He wants to prosper us financially and materially. He wants to prosper us in relationships. He wants you to be a good husband and a good wife. He wants you to have a happy family. Why, even in the, in the Old Testament, He talks about the fact that the man who walks according to the will of God shall have a wife who is fruitful and his children's Children will be like olive branch, olive trees by the table. He wants your family, your home, your vocation, your business. He wants your health physically to prosper. He wants you to live the abundant, prosperous, successful life. It would not, it would, nothing would make him happier tonight than for you and I to live the principles of the Word of God out day by day so that He could prosper us abundantly. Now I want us to look at the source of the supply from the text. The source of the, by the way, a definition of prosperity is to have every need supplied and the capacity to enjoy it. To have everything you need and, and the capacity to enjoy it. That might be um, financially, but you know what? You could be the richest person in the world and, and an invalid, and you couldn't enjoy that wealth. You could be the richest person in the world and have uh, a delinquent child, and you wouldn't enjoy your wealth. Prosperity is to have everything you need and to have the capacity to enjoy that. Prosperity is the ability to move God into action at the point of my need. Now look at the source with me. The source is God. The source of the supply to my need is God. My God shall supply all your needs. Now I want you to look at two verses of Scripture with me. Just flip back over to the, to the 34th Psalm. The 34th Psalm. And I want to read, beginning at verse, read verse 10. 
the young lions do lack and suffer hunger. Now, folks, this is a promise of God, just like John 3, 16. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Will you claim that promise with me? The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. And turn over to the book of 1 Chronicles. That's back over, way back over in the Old Testament. The book of 1 Chronicles. If you want to work from the front, you'll go to 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. It's 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 12 and following. Fantastic verse. Both riches and honor come from thee, and thou dost rule over all, and in thy hand is power and might, and it lies in thy hand to make great, and to prosper, to strengthen every one. Get that with me. Let that soak in. And it lies in thy hand to make great, and to strengthen or to prosper everyone. It's in the hand of God to prosper us. Now look, flip on down. Look on down to verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from thee and from thy hand we have given thee. Now look at that. He's talking about giving back to God and he's saying, we have just given back to you what you have given to us for everything we have comes from God. The source of the supply is God. Now I know what we normally think. We normally, it's natural for us to think, that the source of the supply for my needs is my job, my vocation, my business. Folks, that's not the source. That's a means of income. That's a means of the supply, but it's not the source of the supply. God is the source of the supply. Now what happens when we turn our eyes to the means of income or to the means of supply when we lose a job or we get older and we're going to get out of work or inflation comes, we just go into a tailspin. We panic. We tremble. We get all upset and excited. Folks, it doesn't matter if the source of supply is God. It doesn't matter if you lose your job or not. God will supply. And we will trust Him and believe in Him and depend on Him, He will supply. There are many means of the supply, but He is the source. What determines tonight how you live or where you live? What determines what we do in a church? Why, if we can afford it or not. 
if we have the, the budget to do it, if we have the people giving the money to do it. Folks, when are we going to learn that where we live and how we live and how we operate in the church must not be dependent primarily on the ability of man to supply or man's resources, but on God's ability to supply. For He's the source. He is the source of the supply. Last week we looked at three things we know about Him. I'll not labor those points, but just to review that He is omnipotent, He can supply. He is omniscient, He knows my needs and He and he meets my needs. And third, he is omnipresent. He is in this thing with us and understands our needs. The source is God. Secondly, let's look at the supply. My God shall supply all your needs. I want to say two things about the supply. First, it is tailored to fit my needs. It is tailored to fit my needs. Now there is an old axiom, in, in a religious axiom, it's this. Whatever you do not obtain, you do not require. Now let me say that in, in Tidwell uh, terminology. What that says is, if you don't get what you want, it's because you didn't need it. The supply is tailored to fit my needs. Now if I really believe, now watch this, if I really believe that God is the source of the supply, and the supply is tailored to fit my needs, then I can trust God to supply my needs. And I can believe that little cliche that I see everywhere that God always gives the best to those who leave, to, who leave it up to Him. Or what, what is that? How is that? I've seen it so much, but I don't know what it says. God always gives the best to those who what? Leave Leave the choice to Him. That's the word I'm looking for. God always gives the best to those who leave the choice to Him. Now, it's not, it hasn't always been that I could believe that, but I'm trying to believe it. If God is the source and He tailor-makes the need, the supply to fit my need, then I can leave the choice of my needs up to Him. And if I don't get what I want, it's because I didn't need it. Now I can give you an illustration of that from the Scripture. The Apostle Paul. And he had this thorn in the flesh, and he prayed for the removal of that thorn. And as Paul interpreted it, his need was the removal of the thorn. But God's interpretation of that need was not the same as the Apostle's, God's interpretation of the need was not the removal of the thorn, but reinforcement of the thorn bearer. And what God interpreted Paul's need to be was a day-by-day -day dependence upon God's grace. 
And as long as the apostle had the thorn, it would prompt him or encourage him to trust daily in the grace of God so that there was the apparent need and there was the real need. The apparent need was how Paul saw it. The real need was how God interpreted it. Secondly, the second thing I want to say about the supply is that it's timed, it's timed to bring God glory. Now the problem is that our watches and God's watch are not always synchronized. But when God is on the throne and He is the source of my need and I'm trusting Him to supply it, He's going to supply my need when it brings Him the glory. Now there are examples of that from the Scripture. Abraham is one of them. God told Abraham, He said, Now I'm going to give you a son, and I'm going to make of you a nation that you, can, that you can't even number. Count the stars, count the sand on the sea. I'm going to make you that plentiful, that nation of yours. That's going to be my supply for you. And he lived years after that until he got almost a hundred years of age, no child. His wife was 90. And then one day God said, now it's time for the promise to be fulfilled. Why was it after Abraham and Sarah got that old? So that when the supply came about, when the promise was fulfilled, then it was God who got the glory for it. For the supply came after the ability of, the, of man was completely helpless. For God's supply is always time to bring Him glory. Um, I have a friend, his name is in the prayer room. I want you to write him, if you will, Henry Blackerby. I want to have him speak here sometime. He's pastor of a little church, Faith Baptist Church in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. One of these days I'm going to take some men up there on crusades. Um, the corporation I'm, I'm president of, Frontiers for Baptist Men, has put about $250,000 into work in, in Canadian missions and building missions up there. And Henry Blackaby's little church, one day, he, he went to pastor that little church, had about 50 members, about 20 in Sunday school. And one, one Saturday night, this is a true story, one Saturday night, on his knees before God, he said, if you're going to give me Canada for Christ, if, I'm, if this nation is going to be one and I'm going to be a part of this, you're going to have to raise up some ministers, some preachers. So he prayed that God would call some preachers. Now he had 20 folks in Sunday school and he had some young students from Saskatchewan, University of Saskatchewan, visiting the services on Sunday morning. The next morning when he preached, 11 young men came forward and surrendered to preach. True story. Henry Blackaby is a man that just has the aura of God about him and he lives totally by faith. He woke one of his friends in California and he said, we need, some, we need a pastor up here in Prince Albert. Would you come? Would you pray about coming? This man was pastor of a large church in California. He said, I can't guarantee you any salary, 
I just want you to feel, if God lays it on your heart to come and help us, come. About six months later, this guy's name was Connor. I know him well. He called Henry and he said, God has laid on my heart to come. He said, I have no money for you. I don't even have money for your expenses to move. He said, that's all right. God has laid on my heart to come. So he got a mover and he packed his, uh, they packed his belongings and they headed to Canada. And they pulled into Saskatoon on this day, that morning. Henry Blackaby went to the mailbox, went to the post office. In the box was a letter. It was from Paige Patterson. Sorry to use that name among some of you, but Paige Patterson was, was pastor of First Baptist Church in Fayetteville, Arkansas, was interested in, our, in, in the missions in Canada. And, 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 and Paige Patterson said, Henry, um, somehow God impressed me to send you this check for missions from my church. I hope you can find some way to use it. And it was a certain amount of money. When that truck pulled in and unloaded Connors up in Prince Albert, Henry Blackaby was there, no money to pay for the movers. He had this check in his pocket, true story. And he went over to Connors and he said, how much was the moving? And he said, oh, it's about $1,100. He said, no, I want to know how much exactly was the moving expense. He told him exactly how much it was. He reached in his pocket, opened the envelope, saw that the check was for the exact amount of the moving. Now, folks, I'm not telling you these stories as a makeup story. I know Henry Blackaby. One day you'll be here and he'll tell you this will be true. But Connors has been in Prince Albert now for about four years. And not one single month has he ever had a guarantee for his salary. But every month, Henry Blackaby and Connors and some of the other men in Saskatchewan, on their knees, pray specifically for God to meet a particular need. And God meets their need. Now, it's not always there at the first of the month. But it's always timed to get God glory and it's always tailor-made for their need. Now listen to me. If God is doing that over there, why can't He do it here? That's the question that plagues me. And the only answer I have for that is He can. And He will. That's the way He wants to operate. He wants to give us the supply that's tailor-made for our need and time to get Him glory. You believe that? I want a church that believes that. And I heard about this preacher who went into this town and he, one of the wealthy men in the ch town, met him the first week and he said I want you to go down to the department store I want you to pick you out a suit he said I want you to get a suit I want you to get a shirt and tie and shoes and underwear whatever he said I want you to just get all you want down there and he said I want you to just tell the man that that I'll take care of it I'll pay for it and so he went down there, and he was, he, this never happened to him before. And so he went over to the sale rack, you know, to the cheap suits, and he picked him out a suit, and, uh, you know, like he would buy if he were paying for it. And he got what he kind of embarrassed. He went up to the counter, 
and he told the guy, he said, uh, Mr. So-and-so will pay for it. And he said, Mr. So-and-so won't pay for that suit. He said, he won't. He said, no. He said, he wouldn't want you to be running around town in a suit like that telling everybody he paid for that. He said, you, you go over there and you get you, a, you get you a suit off of that expensive rack because when you tell folks that he bought you that suit, that's going to make it look better on him. He wouldn't want to be embarrassed one of those, you know, 49.95ers over there. Now, I'm not here to say, and of course it's silly for you to even assume that all you got to do, I've, had people, I've heard people say, you know, I'll just go down and get me a suit and God will provide it. If you think I said that, you, you just way off. What I'm saying is this, that when you and I live a defeated life, we're no witness to God. He wants us to bear witness to Him and glorify Him. That's why He wants to prosper us. He, that's why He wants us to be successful in everything we do. So when you make those A's at school, because God has supplied your need and time, etc., He'll get the glory, because the teachers know you can't do it. See? <laughs> he wants to... He wants the supply to glorify Him, you see. You know what I'm trying to say? I may not be saying it. What I'm trying to say is that God is glorified when you and I are living the abundant life because it magnifies His ability. Thou art coming to a king large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such none could ever ask him. Number three, I want you to look at the sufficiency of his supply. The sufficiency of the supply is this, it's according to his riches. Now what that means is that it is in a manner in a manner that is fitting, it is in a manner that is fitting, befitting His resources. Now it is not out of His resources, it's according to His resources. I want to give you an illustration that I've used many times here. A board of directors of a university are meeting. Both Everybody around the table are multimillionaires. The president of the university says, we're in trouble and we need some help financially, so these two men sitting side by side, both are millionaires, reach in their pocket, pull out their checkbook. One writes a check for $1,000. The other writes a check for $100,000. Now both of these men gave out of their resources, but the latter gave according to his resources in a manner that was befitting His resources. That's the idea. Now God's supply, and this is dynamically important and unique to this interpretation of this passage, God's supply is not just out of His resources, His supply is in a manner that is befitting His resources. God's supply is in a way 
that is comparable to God's nature itself, himself. So that it is out, not out of his resources, it's according to. And write this down in the flyleaf of the Bible and remember it. That the Father's capacity for giving is the child's guarantee of adequacy for living. Oh, I like that, even if I did say it. The Father's capacity for giving is the guarantee of the child's adequacy for living. Now you just look at his track record. You just look at his track record. Follow it from the very beginning and you'll find people, galley slaves, out in the desert. And God brought down bread from heaven and water out of rocks. Just look at the track record. The Bible says that the righteous never go hungry and his seed never beg bread. The Father's capacity for giving is your guarantee. His track record is our guarantee of adequacy for living. He wants our needs to be like cracks in the parched earth that are just filled with the showers of His blessing. He wants our needs to be like little cups that we go to the ocean depth and draw out of. He wants to give us according to His resources. And I was sitting last week at the evangelism conference and I was hearing these guys preach. Nothing spectacular. And I was looking around at all the people sitting around in that First Southern Baptist Church in Dale City, Oklahoma. And I was thinking about this message, and this is what I was thinking. Isn't it a tragedy that God has so much He wants to do for us, and He has so much He wants to give us, and we won't let Him? Isn't it a tragedy? And I thought, how disappointed God must be who sits in heaven with this tremendous resource of His to supply and we don't reach out hands to receive it. Isn't that tragic? And Alexander McLaren said, quote, Nothing hinders a man from indefinitely increased possession of a growing measure of God except his own arbitrarily narrowed measure of desire and capacity. And what it interprets is this. The only thing that keeps us from an increasing measure of God is our own inability to believe and appropriate. Ah, man, that'll preach. Let me look finally, and I got to quit. It's 8 o'clock. 8.01. I want us to look at the scribe of that sufficiency. Look at that. It says, by Christ Jesus. Now, it's interesting that in 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 the New American Standard, it's in Christ, 
And in the King James, it's by Christ Jesus. For in the Greek, it's the same word. Now, there are two possible meanings here. If it's by Christ Jesus, it means that He is the administrator of the supply. If it's in Christ Jesus, it means that He is the depository of the supply. Now, let me, let me illustrate. When I was looking at this and preached this the first time, I went to an attorney. I, w- I really did. I went to an attorney and I said, if I- I'm trying to determine if the supply is administrated by Christ, if it's by Christ Jesus as the administrator. And I said, you tell me what is involved legally in an administrator of an estate. Well, he said, an administrator of an estate is one who is, an, who is appointed in the will and you're not going to get anything of, out of that will except through that man's administration as he permits it to be. He's the administrator of it and you get it on the basis of his dispensing of the wealth. You know, I said, well, now that fits. For you see, now if you're not a Christian, you can just forget this. For this supply of God is by Christ Jesus. He is the administrator of it. Because all that comes from God comes through Jesus and by Him. And to have Him, we must have Him in order to have the resources of God. But now what if it means the depository? That means that in Christ Jesus we are in Him and in the and in Him, being in Him, we are in the depository of the wealth of God. Now listen to this magnificent statement by, by McLaren. When Paul says, by, in his riches in glory, he puts them high above our reach. When he says, by, his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. When he says riches and glory, he puts them high above our reach. But when he adds in Christ Jesus, he brings them all down amongst us. Are you listening? If we are in him, then we are beside our treasure and have only to put out our hands and take the wealth that is lying there. All that we need is in Christ and if we are in Christ it's all close to our sides if we are in Christ tonight the riches of God are within our reach isn't that fantastic isn't that great now why aren't you prospering perhaps for three reasons Number one, because you may not be saved. That's a hard statement, but it's true. His riches are by Christ Jesus. Or secondly, you may have sin in your life. Let me read you right quick. You may not even want to turn to it, but write it down. Proverbs 38, 13. Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. That's right out of God's Word. I didn't say that. 
Or it may be that God is wanting to redirect your life and He's getting your attention. I believe that we're on the threshold of something great. I believe that for us, for us individually, and I believe it for us as a church. The only thing that will hinder it will be our lack of faith. And the Bible says that Jesus could do no mighty work in Nazareth because of their unbelief. Would you bow your head with me? I'm going to pray with us tonight, and then I'm going to give an invitation. We'll just let you sit where you are, and we'll play. Let the organist and pianist play. We'll ask you to come. I feel like tonight there may be some who need to respond. Maybe to put your life here. Or to come in rededication or trusting Jesus. Folks, this is a serious moment. God wants to meet your need tonight. Whatever that need is, God wants to meet it. Father, I thank you that we can trust you not only with our eternal soul, but we can trust you with our physical daily life. And Father, sometimes it's easy for us to come and give you our immortal soul trust you for our eternal life that it is to live day by day, trusting in you and depending on you. We confess tonight that we are so bothered and troubled with fear and doubt. We're not living victoriously, triumphantly. We're not living by faith. Our church is not living like that. And I pray, God, that you'll give to this church a pastor like Henry Blackaby that will depend on you. And I pray you'll give to this pastor a church that is totally committed to finding your will, trusting you, so that we can walk together into the great unknown with courage, excitement, and Father, if there are any of those who are hangerbacks, I pray you'll call, call us to you tonight. Call out of this group those that you would have respond, public decision. And we'll praise you for it and thank you in Jesus' name. Now, in the spirit of prayer, would you step out of your place where you're seated and come? And would you do it right now?